pastor. So thank you. I believe that your, your faithfulness to be in here on these special services, I know for a fact it opens up a door of access. God said, those who honor me, I will honor. So are you ready for him to honor you? I mean, if, if I honored you, it'd be one thing. I mean, I could haul you up here and say, hey, wow, look at this guy. Look how wonderful. Everybody give him applause. Give him a hand. And we've honored you. But when God honors you, yeah, you feel it. Every part of you feels it. He honors you with his presence. He honors you with healing. He honors you with abundance. He honors you with revelation. He honors you with restoration. And you be it, just being in here tonight is honoring God. And I want you to get ready for him to honor you. In the next few days, the next few weeks, I'm going to be so bold as to say it right now. Thus says the Lord. Get ready. I don't say that. Do I say that everywhere we go? I'm not sure I ever have. You get ready. Church, Life Impact Live Church, you get ready for the Lord to honor you in a way that you haven't seen before. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Third John, let's go back there together. We are in no sneaky way talking about prosperity, talking about abundance, talking about riches, talking about increase, talking about God's will, His desire, and His ability to so bless you beyond anything you've been able to ask or think and to make you rich. Now, all of that, we'll just call all that the title of the message. <laughs> Everything I just said for the last two minutes, that's all the title, just so we're clear about it. Because like I said to you last night, I, I was fellowshipping with another pastor right here in your nation, another part of the nation. And he was trying to tell me, you know, he just didn't feel like he could preach prosperity to his people. And this is somebody that believed it. But you got to ask yourself, if you're not willing to preach it, do you really believe it? I mean, do you really? You can say that you do, but do you really? If you don't believe it enough to say it out loud with boldness, do you really believe it? Because, you know, we're born again by two separate but equal actions. You believe it in your heart, but that's not the only thing you do. What else do you have to do? You say it with your mouth. And those two things coupled together are enough to change your eternal destination. To believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and to be bold enough about it to say it out loud with your mouth, that is faith. That, those are two sides of the same coin. They're not two different things. They're two sides of the same thing. Believing it and saying it. Well, the same truth that you're born again by is the truth that you prosper by. And if you believe that God is a good God and wants to prosper you, you believe it enough, you say it out loud. And we're going to deal with some of this tonight. But in fellowshipping with that pastor, you know, he's trying to tell me, I just don't feel like I can be bold about it in my congregation. You know, Canadians are very different than Americans. And we're just, there's just kind of a, a, a wall up against all of that. And, you know, I'm just sitting there listening to him. And I didn't really say a whole lot about it. I didn't feel a lot of liberty to to say much to him about it at all. But, uh, you know, the Lord really dealt with me about it. He said, you're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to be bold because the world is doing its best, and not just the world, but a lot of the church is doing its best to shame people out of believing in the goodness of God. 
And you know, uh, you think I could tell that story about that same lunch, what the pastor's wife told you about that car and all that? We were sitting there. As we were talking about some of these things, I was talking to the pastor and Sarah was talking to his wife. And you could tell in talking to her, Sarah could tell, there was such a hunger in her about some of these things. And she said, man, you know, I just wonder if I missed it. She said, you know, we have given away cars throughout our marriage, our ministry. We've given people cars. And she said, my dad came to me not long ago and told me he wanted to buy me a Mercedes. And she said, no, dad, don't do that. I can't, I, I can't drive that. The people in the church, they wouldn't know what to do. They, they would... They would they would leave. People would leave if they saw me driving a nice car like that. So I didn't let him do it for me. And she's sitting there going, I wonder, I wonder if that was a mistake. And of course, Sarah and I just like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> and on the inside, we're going, yes, that was a mistake. Are you kidding me? The blessing of the Lord. But people are letting others shame them out of that. But you and I are going to have to be bold in our believing, bold in our preaching. Because the revelation of the goodness of God and His desire to increase you more and more, you and your children, that psalm has not gone out of style. That psalm, that scripture and the Word of God is not outdated. And I'll not be shamed out of it. And if there is persecution that comes along with my prosperity, then so be it. I just trust God that He's working enough character in me to handle it when the time comes. So let's continue to deal with this tonight. In 3 John, instead of just reading verse 2, why don't we back up again to verse 1. The elder, somebody say the elder. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So this, what he's about to say, is coming from an elder's perspective, an elder's wisdom, an elder's view on what is truly valuable. He said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And to me, that is the voice of an elder. That is the voice of wisdom speaking to us because it'd be one thing to think prosperity and just think the stuff, just think the house, the car, the money, the clothes, the whatever. But he's, he's the, the voice of wisdom, the voice of an el elder knows that what's truly valuable is not the stuff. What's truly valuable is the prosperity that's going on inside you. Your soul prospering. Your soul being in health. These are the things that are really worth something. And the reason he could say this to him was because in verse 3 he said, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth. See, we tend to look at what people have and determine whether or not how well they're doing. Look at the house, like we said, look at the stuff. Man, that guy's doing well. That girl's doing well. But see, John, when he heard about the truth that had taken root inside this brother, Gaius, 
and the truth that he believed, the truth that he received, the truth that he was walking in, John got so excited about it and said, you're doing well. And I pray that all that prosperity that's taking place in you right now, all that health that's going off on the inside of you just because you received the word of God as truth, I'm praying that that prosperity in you makes its way out of you and the invisible becomes visible. I pray that you prosper in all things. How many things are included in all things? All things. All things are included in it. And I pray that you prosper and be in health even as. Don't just read over these words. Stop and think about them. Meditate on them. Even as. Even. It's, 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 it's even to. It's equal to. Whatever amount of prosperity is going on in the soul, I'm praying that that's the amount of prosperity you're living with on the outside, even as. And that will dictate to us how much prosperity we have, even as our souls are prospering. We've got to deal with soul prosperity before we ever deal with financial prosperity, before we ever deal with relationship prosperity, before we ever deal with monetary or any other kind of natural physical prosperity. We have to start with what's going on in the soul and even in the health of our bodies. We know that the commandment of Jesus, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We see these things happen. We see these and expect to see more of these miracles. But there are a lot of people dealing with a lot of things in their bodies, frustrated that all their praying and all their faith hasn't changed anything yet. But the Lord, whatever the reason is for that, he's trying to draw their attention and say, hey, look, the root of this thing that you're seeing on the outside, it's got an inside root. It's got a root in your soul. And man, the Lord dealt real strongly with me on that just in the last few months. I had some stuff, just some nagging stuff in my body. Stuff that was frustrating me and hanging around, had been around for weeks and months. And I'm speaking to it. Some days I'm yelling at it. I'm just getting frustrated with it and doing everything I knew to do about it. Finally went before the Lord on it and he starts talking to me about what's going on in my soul. He said, Jeremy, even if I miraculously healed you of this thing today, if you don't deal with this soul stuff, it's going to be back tomorrow. So getting healthy in our souls is one of the most important things you and I can do. Getting prosperous. It was, yeah, she, Sarah reminded me, one of the things the Lord was specifically dealing with me on was stress. It was stress. And it was a soul issue. Now, stress comes to every one of us. You can't live a quote-unquote stress-free life where there are no stressors. It comes to you, but it doesn't have to get in you. And that was my problem, is it had begun to get in me, and everything was stressing me out. And I just kind of lived right on the edge of stressed, just stressed out. And some of this stuff, found out some of it... <laughs> Interestingly enough, found it out from the dentist. He asked me, are you clenching your teeth at night? I was like, I don't know. I'm asleep. I don't know what I'm doing. He started looking at my gums, looking at my teeth. And of course, I've been going to the dentist my whole life. Never said anything about this to me. He said, you see, you see these things and told me what I was looking at. He said, you're clenching your teeth at night. Like, why would I be doing that? One reason, stress. 
I'm like, I'm not stressed. And then I ended up seeing this other guy about one of these other issues I was telling you about, and he starts asking me about stress. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on in the finances? What's going I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're not a <clears throat> financial counselor. That's not what I came here for. <laughs> but he starts asking me these questions about these different things. And the Lord just really opened my eyes to it. I had allowed stress in in a way that I didn't realize I did, that I had. And it was having physical manifestations in my body. And I came across a book actually at my parents' house and grabbed it and started reading it by a doctor. And it was all about stress. And I found out some things that I think he said in there, somewhere between 75 and 90% of people who are going to doctors and hospitals are going in for stress-related illnesses, stress-related diseases and causes. This is a major thing. Well, what is that? What kind of issue is that? Soul. It's poverty of the soul. Just living totally stressed out all the time. I'll kind of give you a story since I brought this up a moment ago. We're getting ready to move into this new home. As a matter of fact, probably in the next few days. Well, we've been looking at this house for just over one year. May 1st last year, I was in another state ministering in a church, and Sarah called me, and she called me about this house. Jordan and Courtney, who were here with uh, Sarah's brother, his wife Courtney, uh, friends with these people who live in this home, uh, actually, Courtney's known them for a long time, babysat their kids and so on, know these people really well. Well, found out that they were building another house, getting ready to maybe move out. And Courtney called Sarah and said, I just keep thinking about you guys in this house. And Sarah started looking at it. And long story short, the Lord really dealt with her. This is your home. It's a beautiful place. Big step up for us. Well, we've been looking at it now for over a year. Well, some things came up with the place we had just built and moved into that we had lived in for a year. We built this place inside our ministry headquarters, built an apartment there. We were living downstairs. Our, <clears throat> our staff was officing upstairs. We were shooting our television broadcast in it. And it just got to the place, we're going to have to move out of this place. The ministry needs it. There were some infrastructure issues that we just, we had to find another place and let it be totally ministry and so we moved out in October of last year. And the new house was going to be ready January, February at the very latest. So, this is taking a lot of humility to say what I'm about to say to you. We moved in with my parents. <laughs> and it was just going to be for the very last part of last year. Well, as these things tend to happen the other folks new house there was delays and delays and delays and things weren't going quite according to plan all that to say we've been with mommy and daddy for going on eight months now and it's, it's been great the kids have loved being there with their grandparents it's we've been able to be a help to them in a, in a number of things and it's been great good time to reconnect and all of that the only issue has been they live 45 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic, from where we take our kids to school and where our ministry is every day. So day after day after day, we're getting in the car. And from the time eyes pop open in the morning, it is a mad dash to get to the car 
to get to school on time because you never know what traffic's going to be. It might take almost an hour to get there. And, you know, I mean, I was getting up early and spending that time with the Lord and just trying to get that, that right start to the day. You know what I mean? And then you go and you wake up the kids. And Justice has always, he's always woken up pretty good. He's a little sleepy, but he, he, he snaps to it. All you got to do for him is tell him there's a race. And he's like, okay, I'm happy, you know. And he gets after it. Jesse, on the other hand, that little girl just wants so badly to stay asleep. And so getting her up, I know some of you have kids like this, or maybe you're like this yourself. It's like a wrestling match sometimes just to get her out of bed. And the crying starts and the fussing starts. And, I mean, I just got out of prayer. And not 15 minutes later, I'm already on the edge of that, you know? And it's this mad dash to get them in the car and get to school. And we're dealing with traffic and we're running late day after day after day. We're leaving earlier to try to get there and we're still running late. And traffic's stressing me out. And the kids are in the back and they're fussing over this or that. And that's stressing me out. And I, I just hadn't realized all these things that I was letting into my soul. Well, one day we're on our way to school and Justice is in the back seat and he starts singing this song that he had learned in chapel. They go to a Christian school and it's a um, little song they sing in chapel. Oh, happy day, happy... You see why Sarah does the one, is the one singing. <laughs> happy day, he washed our sins away. And uh, we start... Telling him, oh yeah, we used to sing that song in youth group. And I got out my phone and started, he said he wanted to hear it. So we played that song. And the whole, the whole family's just singing along. Happy day. Oh, happy day. Everybody's feeling pretty good. And then I start playing all these other songs that I used to sing as a teenager. And I'm teaching them to justice. And I turn around and he's air drumming and air guitaring. And I'm beating on the steering wheel. And we're all singing. And we're all praising. And we praised our way for 45 minutes or an hour all the way to school that day. And you know what? When we dropped those kids off, I felt great. And I thought, man, somebody should tell somebody. <laughs> Praising God makes you feel good. It can change your mood if anybody only knew, if people only knew how great it could make you feel to actually, instead of complain, worship the Lord a little bit. And I have been on a mission for the last two months, and I thank God my wife has helped me to help me find out in my life, just cut away stuff as much as I can and get back into that resting place in Him. And it's having an effect on me. It's having an effect. On my soul, it'll have the same effect on yours. We've got to start right now prospering in our souls. I know you want to prosper outwardly. I do too. But we've got to do it God's way. And God's way is always from the inside out. Amen? And I encourage you too, if you've got health issues, things that have hung around for a long time, things that you just can't seem to get rid of, Go before the Lord and say, Father, is this thing rooted in my soul somewhere? And let him open your eyes to maybe some unforgiveness, some bitterness, some strife. And for the sake of your own body, for the sake of your health and the longevity of your life, get rid of it. Get free of it. Amen? Let's get healthy from the inside out. Let's go to the book of John now. We've been in Third John. Let's go to John chapter 10. <clears throat> 
And if you want to, you can also find Psalm 23, John 10, and Psalm 23. Thank you, Lord. Sarah, could I have one of those waters? John 10 and Psalm 23. Thank you. In John chapter 10, Jesus identifies himself as our good shepherd. And he said in verse 4, he said, He brings out his own sheep and he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is my good shepherd. This is a confession I say all the time. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name and he leads me out. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls, calls me by my name, and he leads me out. Why don't you try it? Jesus is my good shepherd. Go ahead and say it after me. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name, and he leads me out. Out of what? Out of whatever it is you're in that you need out of. He's faithful to lead you out. And honestly, that's exactly what Jesus went to work doing the moment you made him the Lord of your life. He went to work right then leading you out, out of death, out of darkness, out of bondage, out of sickness, out of poverty. But he never leads you out of one thing without leading you in to something else. He doesn't lead you out and into oblivion, into nothingness. No, he didn't just lead you out of death. He led you out of death and into life. He led you out of darkness and into light. He led you out of bondage and into freedom. Praise God. He led you out of sickness and into health. He led you out of sin itself and led you into His righteousness, His holiness, praise the Lord. And He led you out of poverty and He's leading you in to prosperity. And He goes on to to talk about that in verse 10. He said, the thief does not come except to kill, excuse me, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now this verse right here, John 10.10, is the line in the sand. This verse is the proverbial line in the sand. This verse is to clear up any confusion that tries to remain in you or anybody else in the world who's confused about what God's doing and what the devil's doing. And still people are confused. I mean, Jesus made it as abundantly clear as you possibly can. And he said, the thief does not come except to. There are only these reasons that he shows up. He never comes to bless you. He never comes to favor you. He comes for these reasons only. To steal from you, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it how? More abundantly. Now he said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now you have to stop and think about this a moment, but everything that came out of the mouth of Jesus is good news. You think, well, where's the good news in that? Well, let me give you this illustration. Do you know why you cannot go to my house right now and 
steal a 1964 Aston Martin out of the garage? Because there ain't one there. <laughs> you cannot steal from me. Why? You can't steal that thing from me because I don't have it. Satan's a thief, but the only reason he's a thief is because you have something. He couldn't be a thief and wouldn't be a thief if you weren't in possession of something precious and valuable. See, that's good news. That's good news. That's what he's after. He's after what you have, what you are a possessor of. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life. But to me, there's so much love in that statement. I came that you may have it. See, love doesn't force itself on anyone. Love forced on somebody isn't love. Well, if God wanted me to have this, this prosperous life you're talking about, if God wanted me to have all these things, he'd just give it to me. No, he said, I came that you may have it. I'm making it available to you, but I'm not going to force it on you. If he was going to force something on you, he would have forced Jesus on you, but he didn't. But the truth is, if he didn't spare Jesus, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's made Jesus available. And as much as Jesus is available, so is all things with him, in him, by him, through him. It's all available in Jesus. And he came that you may have it. And that you may have life and have it how? More abundantly. And this is the word I want to talk about tonight. More abundantly. The word abundantly means not just more than enough. It means more than more than enough. It means, it means super abundant. Super abundant in quantity. It means superior in quality. It carries with it the idea of beyond. The essence of beyond. You know what I mean by beyond? There's, there's coming short. Then there's having just enough. And then there's beyond. Right? Beyond is more than enough. There's not having the need met. Then there's having the need met. And then there's having more than having the need met. And that's what this word abundant is. I'm going to give you another word for it. But I think it might make you mad. You look this word up and you're going to see everything I just told you. Super abundant in quantity, superior in quality, the essence of beyond. But you're going to see this definition too. By implication, excessive. It means excessive. The kind of life Jesus came to give is the excessive kind of life. And that word makes religious people squirm. They can't stand it. Excessive. Ooh, I'm not into the excess. I'm not into those prosperity preachers preaching about all that excess. Lord, I'm not asking for the excess. As though you're doing, some him, some, doing him some huge favor by, <coughs> excuse me, by saying to him, you know, I'm not asking for all the excess. I just want 
just food on my table and, and, and clothes on my back. That's all I'm asking for. As though he was going to be honored by your huge lack of faith. Wow, thank you so much for such little faith in me. The problem, people have said so much that the problem is excess. You know, the problem with all those preachers and that prosperity is just the excess. That's the problem. The problem is all that excess. Excess is not the problem. Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have way too much of it. So excess isn't the problem. The problem is not knowing what to do with it. That's a problem. There is an assignment on every dollar that comes into your hand. And it's upon you and upon me to find out from the Lord, what do you want done with it? So you see where you, when you're before the Lord saying, I just want enough for me, just enough for this table, just enough for this family. What you're asking for is no excess. But the problem is that's so selfish. So selfish. Because if all you have is enough to meet your need, how many other people can you impact? None. You have no ability to impact anybody else. And that's what the excess is for. That's what the excess is for. And we ought to be talking excess all the time. We ought to be saying it to each other, husbands, wives. We ought to be talking this way to each other all the time. And we ought to be saying, hey, baby, how much are we going to have? Are we going to have just enough? No, we ain't going to have just enough. Are we going to have barely enough? No, we ain't going to have barely enough. Come on, baby, tell me, how much are we going to have? We're going to have too much. We're going to have running over. We're going to have excess. Are we going to have enough to meet this need? No, we're not going to have enough to meet this need. We're going to have too much, more than enough to meet this need. we got to start talking this all the time. This is faith for overflow. Faith for too much. It's got to be in our mouths, and that's the assignment on it. And Jesus said, I came that you'd have life. Man, what an all-encompassing word that is. And it's not just life enough for you. It's life enough to fill you up and overflow out of you. That's what happened in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He spent 30 years, the first 30 years of his life doing one thing, growing in grace. And you know, that's all we know about him. Through his childhood, through his 20s, till he hit 30. All we know from the scripture is that he increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. That word favor is the word grace. He increased in favor and grace with God and with man. And he so increased in it, and he increased in it, and he increased in it, and he increased in it, till you get to John chapter 1, where John says, and, and he was full of grace and truth. The Amplified says he was overflowing with it, and we beheld his glory. The, only, the, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, overflowing with grace. Every miracle, every message, every dead raised was the result of Jesus growing in grace and overflowing with it. That's too much grace, man. That's way too much favor. When it comes out of you, splashes over onto somebody else and the same grace that saves you gets them saved and the grace that heals you gets them healed and the grace that delivered you and prospered you. Come on, this is what the excess is for. This is what the excess is for. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. There's that word again. 
abound abundantly. It's all the same thing. Man, it's just running after you. Grace is abounding towards you. You ought to be saying that all the time. Grace is abounding towards me. Grace is abounding towards me. What's the result of it? That all grace would abound towards you so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, might have to give to every good work. That is the definition of prosperity. The place that you come to in life where the grace of God has so abounded towards you that you at all times having all sufficiency, that's your needs met in all things. Notice how many times all things keeps coming up. Prosper in all things. In all things, have to give to every good work. That's what the excess is for. So excess is not the problem. Come on, church, help me out. Is excess the problem? No, it's not. Not knowing what to do with it. That's a problem. And one that we can fix. Do you still have Psalm 23? Let me show this to you in one other place. Sarah ministered to us from Psalm 23 this morning. And I want to look at it again. You're familiar with it. Verse 1. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. See, you ought to be saying this all the time. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by name and he leads me out. If you're dealing with shortage, if you're dealing with poverty or lack of any kind, you need to be saying this all the time. This is faith for excess, faith for overflow, faith for too much. And it's got to be coming out of your mouth all the time. You're running short. What should you be saying? Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by name and he leads me out. I'm coming out of of poverty. I'm coming out of lack. I'm coming out of not enough. Paul said, I know, uh, I, I know how to be content no matter what state I'm in. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. You ought to be saying, I'm coming out of that state of abased and I'm coming into the state of abounding. There's that word again. That's too much. That's too much. And you can do the same thing he did. You can go from one state to another. You don't have to live in the state of being abased your entire life, but it's going to be coming out of your mouth. Like we said, do you believe this thing enough to say it? We've got to be saying it more. Baby, listen, we've got to be saying this more. I'm talking to my wife right now. Y'all excuse me for just a minute. We've got to be saying this more. We have to remind each other all the time. We are not talking this thing enough. It's got to be coming out of our mouths, coming out of our mouths, coming out of our mouths. Jesus is our good shepherd. He calls us by our name and he's leading us out. Out of not enough into too much. Out of lack into abundance. Out of poverty into prosperity. He's leading me out. He's leading me out. You ought to just say it. He's leading me out. He is leading me out. I'm coming out of this thing. I'm coming out of it. Glory to God, I'm out of it right now. Praise God. I'm coming out. It's just got to be coming out of your mouth all the time. This is faith for the overflow. The Lord is my shepherd. As a result, what happens? I shall not want. What does that mean? I'm not lacking anything. I shall not want. Why? One reason. He's my shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Uh Uh-oh. He restores my soul. Oh, so our soul has something to do with all this. Our soul prosperity is tied up in this. 
one of the main job responsibilities, if you will, of your shepherd is the restoration and the refreshing of your soul. And so often, he does that in these quiet places. That's why you've got to get away. You've got to take some time. Step out, even if it's just for a few moments. Maybe it's for a weekend. If you can, get away for a week. I'm telling you, there's something way more spiritual about vacation than you've given God credit for. And we found it out early on, and we found out God was so serious about our rest and our vacation that he'd pay for it if we asked him to. And he has over and over and over again. We have so many vacation miracles, vacation testimonies. Because the same God that commissioned you to go do whatever it is his assignment is on your life, when he tells you to come away and to rest a while, are you at liberty to ignore that word? Any more than you would be at liberty to ignore his call and his assignment on your life? I've had him deal with me so seriously seriously about it and he'd say, Jeremy, I want you on this beach at this time because I'm going to be speaking to you there whether you're there or not to hear it. And if you want to hear it, you better go get right there. I think the same thing's true with churches. The Lord has answers for people all over this city and he's giving them their answer week after week after week. Sadly, many of them are not here to hear it. And you think, well, couldn't he just tell them out there? Couldn't he just tell them somewhere else or at a different church? Why didn't he do that? Um, The deeply spiritual reason of he doesn't want to. (laughs) I think we'll get into that more tomorrow, but there is a place you're supposed to be. There is a place you're supposed to be. The psalmist said it like this. He brought us through the fire. He brought us through the water, and He brought us to our wealthy place. Our wealthy place. There is a wealthy place for you. I'm excited. I think we're going to get into that in the morning, finding out where your wealthy place is. But He said that in that quiet place, in that quiet time, one of the main things He's doing there is working on your soul, restoring your soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I like the New Living Translation. It says, you prepare a feast. What a picture of abundance that is. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is almost filled up all the way. No? Is that a wrong translation? What does yours say? My cup is filled right up to the brim. No? My cup, what? Runs over. What is that? That's too much in the cup. That is way too much. And that's who he is. And that's what he does. That's the kind of life he comes to give. Too much. Our pastor, Pastor Keith Moore, says it like this. He says, don't you think God would know when the cup's full? Yeah, of course he does. Same way he probably knew how many fish were going to sink that boat that day. And yet he just kept piling them in there, piling them in there. 
okay, God, that's enough, that's enough. I got enough, that's enough. And what's he saying? Shut up, you need a little more. You need a little more. Excessive. Excessive. My cup runs over. That's overflow. That's excess. And this is this, the, the, the faith for this has got to be in our mouths, in our hearts, coming out of our mouths all the time. I'm talking to you tonight about the difference between living in faith for the overflow or the opposite is what? The fear of running out. And that's where most people are living right now. The fear of running out. And that's what's keeping them locked up. That's what's keeping them in a poverty mentality. You know, poverty is a mentality regardless of how much money you actually have. There are a lot of people with a lot of money who live with a poverty mentality. The fear of running out. The fear of not having enough. You know, when Sarah and I first launched into our own ministry, we'd been serving my parents for a number of years and then my grandparents as representatives of their ministry. And then in 2010, the Lord dealt with us actually in 2009, but it wasn't until 2010 that we stepped out. The Lord dealt with us to step out into our own ministry. We submitted it to our leadership, my grandparents. They prayed over it with us. They launched us out, said it was good, said it was God. And uh, we were traveling full-time then. And just before, I think it was, just before we stepped into our own ministry, we had gone to preach in uh, another state. And we'd flown commercial to get there, and we'd done that quite a bit. And while we were on staff at KCM, we'd also used their airplanes a number of times. And in case you're wondering, private airplanes are better. <laughs> and, uh, but we, this particular trip, we had gone commercially. And Sarah was, I think, if I remember right, was about five or six months pregnant with Justice, our first one. And I remember on this trip, flew into the airport, had, I don't know, hour, maybe two-hour drive, <clears throat> excuse me, out to this church, <clears throat> preach the weekend at the church, and get back in the car, drive to the airport, rush, 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 right? I mean, we're going to just try to make this flight. We get there, stand in the long security line, and here she is, great with child, and basically you got to undress yourself almost to just get through security, and we rush, rush, rush to get there like cattle being herded, and only to find out, oh, you're delayed, and you're delayed. And you're delayed, and you're delayed, and you're delayed. And I remember at one point looking over there, and Sarah was sitting on one of those really uncomfortable chairs. She's holding her belly, and she's just kind of slumped over. And I just thought to myself, I'm not doing this again. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And we came home from that trip, <clears throat> and we felt like the Lord said to us, I want you to come out of that commercial system. And I want you to start right now believing me to fly privately everywhere you go and quit depending on them to help you do what I've called you to do. And uh, so some months after that, we had justice. Um, then we launched into our own ministry. That's what you do, right? Have a baby, quit your job. <laughs> and we, <clears throat> we started our own ministry. And I think it was the first trip we were getting ready to go on in our own ministry. We were going to minister with Rick and Nettie Reyna in New York City. And we didn't own an airplane at that time. We didn't have our own. And so we were going to have to pay to use another one. And our ministry was like weeks old. And so we called to find out how much it was going to cost to use an airplane to go on this trip. 
And they told us, and at that point in our ministry, that was almost all of what we had. We, we were looking at having to spend our entire account on one trip. And we're like, Lord, are you sure about this airplane thing? And uh, they told us how much. They said it could be between this and this. And uh, she and I were talking about it. I was like, man, is this right? Can this be right? Is that smart to take all your money and spend it on one trip? And Sarah said, you know what? I've got to run to the grocery store. I'm going to pray about it. You pray about it. And let's just hear from the Lord. So she went away and prayed. I prayed. She came back. And she said, what do you tell you? And I said, I think we're supposed to do it. And she said, I think we are too. And I remember being so thankful for my courageous wife at that moment in time. She's just bold and courageous in her faith. It's like, I think we're supposed to do this. And she said, did you get a number in your heart about what we're supposed to believe God for? Because they told us it could kind of be anywhere between here and here. And I said, yeah. I said, I think we're supposed to believe God for $4,000. $4,000 for one trip. And it's not like it was around the world or anything like that. <laughs> and she said, that's exactly the number I got. And we came into agreement, standing there in the bedroom of our little home, the first little house we had. And man, we full on embraced each other. And we came before the Lord and we said, Father, we come to you based on the authority of your word. You said where two or more are gathered in your name, you'd be in their midst. And that they could ask what they would and it would be done for them. And Sarah and I come into agreement with you. We believe we've heard from you. Come out of that system. Trust you to meet the need. And we have it in our heart, sir, to ask you for $4,000 to meet this need. We believe we receive it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. That was on a Sunday. Now, at that time in our ministry, again, really young. We're talking weeks old. No, nobody working for us. We didn't have a staff or anything like that. So we were the mail runners. We were the mail processors and all of that. And I figured out in those first few days, don't go to the mailbox every day. That will depress you. You're going to have to give it some time. Let the mail stack up a little bit so that when you do go, there's something there. And so we, I think, prayed on a Sunday. We were out, I think it was Tuesday of that next week, and driving around. I thought, well, it's been a few days. <laughs> I've let it stack up for a while now. I'll go by the bank, or I'll go by the post office. And I went, Sarah sat in the car, I went inside and opened the mailbox, and it had stacked all the way up to two letters. <laughs> so I grabbed them both, came back to the car, opened the first letter. Glory to God, there was a check in there for $50. Somebody, we hadn't told people about our ministry. I'm telling you, we were brand new. The Lord had dealt with somebody to sow $50 into us. And to this day, it still comes all over me. It's just overwhelming to think how the Lord does this. And so I thank God for it, and I opened the next one, and I looked at it. <gasps> it literally took my breath. Sarah was on the phone. She said, what? I just held it up and showed it to her. $4,000. And tears came to both our eyes. We just started thanking the Lord. We just started praising God. It was such a notable miracle. We had just prayed on Sunday here it was, Tuesday. I look at the envelope. It was postmarked Friday. I was like, now wait a second. You're telling me this was already there the whole time? And the Lord said, look what you got to see. 
You got to see what would happen if you and your wife came into agreement with each other. You got to find out how faith works. It works by hearing. You both heard what I wanted you to trust me for. And then you got to find out that I knew what the need was before you ever even asked. And we, since that time, I mean, that was seven years ago. And since that time, we have seen checks smaller than that, way bigger than that, but none of them have ever marked us the way that one did. And it spoke to us. And I talked to you last night about renewing your mind and letting the Lord tell you what's truly valuable and letting Him tell you what's worth more than your money. And this whole deal with airplanes and Him calling us out of the commercial system, you know, it wasn't long after that we were given an airplane. A Cessna 421 twin-engine airplane. Man, we flew that thing all over the nation. We took it to California. We took it to New York City. We flew that thing everywhere. And then sometime after that, another minister called and said, I want to give you this jet. A citation 500. So you know what we did? We turned right around. We put a whole bunch of money into that first airplane, and we gave it away. We sewed it into another ministry. And if you've never given away an airplane before, you've got to try it. It is so much fun. If, if you get a kick out of making people cry, you've got to give them an airplane sometime and just watch what happens. And since that time, the Lord dealt with us on that, that jet. We outgrew it a bit. And the Lord dealt with us. I want you to sew that. Put a bunch of money in that one. Made it an awesome seat. Sewed that and do another ministry since that time. I told you the other day, believe in God for this next one that's coming in. But the, he showed us so much about prosperity through just owning a piece of equipment like that. Because I was before him. I said, Lord, I don't, there's a lot I don't understand it's not just the cost of buying these things. It's the cost of maintaining them. It's the cost of putting gas in them. You know, I could buy six round-trip tickets for a tank of gas sometimes. And, and he said, Jeremy, listen to me. It may cost you more money, but it is not more expensive. Think about that. It may cost you more money, but it is not more expensive. And in one statement, he started renewing my mind to what is really valuable. This, this trip we're on right now, it's a great case in point. We flew here uh, privately on an uh, airplane that belonged to another ministry. Now, in the trips that we've come to see you guys before, we've come commercially. And because of the commercial schedule, uh, you know, we do the Friday night service. Well, there's not a, a flight that gets in from Dallas to Calgary in time to get us in here for service. So we have to come on Thursday night. So we come actually Thursday afternoon, spend the night Thursday night. We're here all day Friday. Come to service Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But there's not a flight that leaves late enough on Sunday to get us home that evening, so we wait till Monday. Now, the bright side is we love you guys. <laughs> and so hanging out with you is not a chore. But, for example... On this particular trip, we were able to fly in yesterday. Actually, what we were able to do was take off, take care of our kids, drop them off with Grandma and Grandpa, fly from there, make it here in time, flew into Red Deer, didn't have to drive from Calgary, uh, went straight to the hotel, got freshened up, came and had service with you last night. Tomorrow after service, we'll be able to leave, get on the airplane, go back. 
what was a five-day trip, a trip that spanned five days, now spans three. And what the Lord tells us in that is that our time is more valuable than our money. And whereas most people in the world was still with that childish way of thinking, right, that we talked about last night, most people would rather spend time if it saved them money. Not me. My time's worth more. I'd rather spend the money if it saved me some time. And so you're thinking, man, you guys flew here on a private jet. Who do you think you are? Jeremy? I don't know. <laughs> he loves me. What about all that money it cost you? But yeah, but what about all that time it saved me? And we read a bunch of things last night from the book of Proverbs that are more valuable than our money. Our peace. Quietness. Lack of strife. Have you dealt with any flight attendants in the last <laughs> few weeks or months? A lot of great ones. A lot of them you have to guard against strife. But we're laughing. It is a strife-filled environment. I don't think I'd go quite as far as my grandfather who said on international television, why would I want to go get in a long tube with a bunch of demons? <laughs> Airplane. I was like, now wait a second, Papa. Hold on. Some people, some of us at times still have to get in there, so. But he's just come to the place in his life, you know, that it doesn't matter the amount of money you spend on it because of everything else that it's saving, your peace, your joy. And what a great example he is. 80 years old, and at this moment, right now, preaching in Peru. Either just got back from Venezuela or just going, just got, oh no, just got back from Nigeria. But I'm telling you, had he spent the last 50 years in that strife-filled system? Now, if the Lord's not dealing you to come out of it, don't take that as pressure. But if he is, listen, whatever thing he's calling you out of, he's calling you into something else. And it's adjusting our perspective of what is truly valuable. Now, what if they had told us that trip's going to cost you about $4,000 and all we had in the bank was maybe six? What if we had said, well, we can't do that? What if we had held on to what we had and decided not to do that? What, what would have been the motivation? Fear. Fear of running out. How are we going to spend on one trip and then have enough left over. It's called fear of running out. Do you have just a couple more minutes? Go to the book of Matthew, and I'll wrap it up with this. This is where I wanted to get to last night, but I believe the time's right now. I want to read this parable to you, and there's a lot of truth that we could pull out of it, but there's one thing in particular I want you to see. Jesus told a parable in the book of Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Whose goods were they? They were his. They belonged to him. But he gave them to his servants. It says in verse 15, To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. 
You might make a note there. That word ability means strength. In verse 16 it says, Then he who had received five talents... Now let's just stop for a minute. Be honest. When you've read this parable before, you always pictured that guy giving out five talents to this one, two to this one, and one to that. So this guy got five gold coins, this guy got two gold coins, and this guy got one. You need to renew your mind just a little bit. A talent, there's some discrepancy about what it's worth. It kind of, it's a measurement of weight. That's what a talent is. And if, if this was a measurement of gold, uh, if this was gold we were talking about, then it's quite possible that one talent would be equal to 15 to 20 years wages. One. And this one guy got five of those. The other guy got two, and the other guy got one. So it wasn't like they got five coins, two coins, one coins, and kept it all in their little bag. (laughs) Jesus is already dealing with sums of money that cause your mind to stretch. Somebody say excess. Excess. So he gave to each one according to their ability. That's important. And the one that he gave five to, what did it say? happen? Verse 16, the one who'd received five talents went and traded, made another five. Or in other words, he was able to handle five. That's how many he got, five, and he was able to handle. He had strength for five. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. So he had ability for two. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them a long time. Time. Time is opportunity. He gave opportunity to these guys to do something with what he gave them. Time equals opportunity. Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought, brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Doesn't that sound like a great guy to work for? I mean, so many people just stuck in thankless jobs, right? But this is somebody rich, 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 rich. And sometimes we think of rich people as snobs and arrogant. I want to tell you something. A lot of times the people who are the richest got that way because their souls were prosperous. And this guy, what did he say to him? Well done, celebrated him. Right there in front of everybody else. Just celebrated him. Well done. Called him two things. Good. You ever been told you were good at what you do? Just does something for you. Good and faithful. Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over much. That word faithful there is interesting. If you look it up, it means this. True to the original. Have you ever seen a movie that was faithful to the book? What's that mean? It means it was true to the original, told the same story in the same way. Have you ever seen one that was basically had the same title but was just something else entirely? Well, it's not true to the original. It's not faithful. A faithful rendering of something, a faithful painting, a faithful drawing, that's what they call it, a faithful rendering. It's true to the original. And he called this guy faithful. This is important. True 
to the original. Notice what he said to the next one. The guy who came with two. His, uh, where are we at? Verse 22. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. I have gained two more also besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Notice he got told the exact same thing as the guy who had five and now has ten. There was no different response because it wasn't about the amount difference. It was about what they had done with it. So they got the same response. They both got promotion. They both got called two things. Good and, say it, faithful. True to the original. But in verse 24, it says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard, and the Amplified Bible says, harsh man. Now, wait a second. Does this sound like the guy we just read about? Remember, well done, good and faithful. I'm going to promote you. Enter into the joy of your Lord. People tell us that that's a reference to the welcome home feast of of the master. Come have dinner with me. Come on, let's celebrate you. Does that sound like hard and harsh? This guy comes and says, Lord, I knew. I just knew this about you. I knew that you were hard. I knew that you were harsh. Have you ever interacted with somebody based on bad information about them that led to a wrong assumption about who they were and come to find out they're not a jerk after all. I actually kind of like you. But for how long did you think that way about them and come to find out it was totally off and totally wrong? Can you see this happening here? I just knew this about you. I knew you were hard. I knew you were harsh, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. In verse 25, notice this, notice this. And I was afraid. I was afraid. Now, we are literally talking about money, are we not? He said, I was afraid and went and hid your talent In the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. I was afraid. Living in fear will make you make the wrong decision every time, no matter what it is. But living in fear about your money, constant fear that you're going to run out, Fear that you won't have enough. Fear that the need won't be met. Making financial decisions based on that fear will make you do the wrong thing with money every time. Fear equals a bad decision. Bad decision. But what was that fear rooted in? That bad decision was rooted in fear that came out of bad information. And it was bad information about the man he worked for. I just knew this about you. I just knew you were hard. I just knew you were harsh. How many people today are afraid of God? Because they've been given bad 
information because they were told he's the one stealing he's the one killing he's the one destroying and because of that they've been afraid of him afraid to call on him afraid to interact with him afraid to darken the doorway of a church afraid the the condemnation of the past the condemnation of the present fear 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 of God not worship but the fear of him being afraid of him has led to bad decision making and that's the exact same that happened same thing that happened here and the Lord answered and said he called him two things but not good and faithful he said wicked and lazy everybody got called two things <laughs> but they weren't all the same two things this guy got called wicked and lazy lazy I get why you go back to the start of the parable everyone got what their Lord gave them and it was all based on their ability his Lord saw in him ability and strength to handle one not to handle five not to handle two handle one now here's what's so cool about ability and the reason I tell you it, it's the same word as strength it's because it can grow yeah. you're not just stuck with whatever you've got right now what happens when you go get in the gym and you resist and you lift weight and you press weight and you do it on a regular basis over and over and over and you run and you exercise and you press you start with one level of strength but over the course of time you get stronger strength can grow so the guy who was given five had strength and ability for five but in doing with it what he was supposed to his strength and his ability grew and now he's handling ten so his this last one with one got called lazy because the Lord looked at him and knew you've got more ability than what you acted on there's more strength I gave this to you because I because I see in you the ability to do with it what I want done that's what the word faithful means true to the original in other words the first two guys they did with the money only what they knew he would do with the money had it been in his hands does that make sense yeah. to you they acted as though he had it he didn't he gave it to them but they did with it what he would have done that's true to the original that's, that's faithful yeah. and that is a key to increase can he bring it into your hand can he increase you not until he knows that you know what he wants done with it there's a key to increase right there but he said to him you wicked and lazy servant if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I didn't scatter seed you ought have deposited my money with the bank and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest don't you know this guy was like, oh, the bank. That's what I should have done. Stupid, 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 stupid. But what happened? I and mean, that seems like such a simple concept. Just go put it in the bank. Just go stick it there. Why, why didn't he think that? Why did he miss something so simple? 
fear. I'm telling you, opportunities for increase, financial opportunities are right in front of us all the time. He's bringing them across our paths. He is showing them to us, and they're standing in front of us waving bright red flags with neon signs over them going, Hey, give here, invest here, sow this, buy this. But fear, fear of running out, fear of not having enough. That's why people aren't tithing. That's why people aren't sowing. Just plain fear. But it's not just fear of running out. It's rooted in a fear of not knowing who he is. And if you don't know he's good, you're nothing but afraid. I might never see this money again. If you've been given bad information about him, that he's not the one that's come to give you life. He's the one that might actually take it from you. If he's the one stealing, yeah, you're going to be afraid. You're going to hold on with everything you've got. But bad information led to bad decision-making, and it was fear. And notice what happened as a result. He said, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. (sighs) Trying so hard to hold on to it, What's going to end up happening to it? You're going to lose it. What did Jesus say? He who loses his life for my sake will find it. But he who tries to hang on to it is going to lose it. And that's what he said to this guy. And you look at that same statement. You've hung with me. I'm almost done. You look at that same statement Jesus just made about he who has more will be given. He who does not have even what he has will be taken from him. He said those exact same words in Matthew chapter 13 when he was talking to his disciples and he said, blessed are your eyes for you see. Blessed are your ears for you hear. You see what the prophets of old wanted to see. What was he talking about? Him. They saw him. A bunch of people out there who heard Jesus preaching that day, they just heard a guy preaching. But these guys saw Jesus. Our prosperity is intimately and inseparably connected to a revelation of who He is. And if you don't know who He is, then you can be nothing but afraid of Him. Maybe all you, for all you know, He's the one doing the killing. For all you know, He's the one doing the, the destroying. Maybe some misinformed preacher told you years ago that He was the one, and we don't know why, but He's the one that took your mother, your father, your relative, your child, your son, your daughter. Maybe some misinformed religious person told you that God did this to you to teach you something or God took that from you to show you something. You can't let anybody else define God for you other than God Himself. And He's done so very clearly in His Word. Jesus drew that line. Life on this side of it Death on that side of it. I'm in the life. I'm not in the death. There's a real key to our financial breakthrough in this. Prospering from the inside out. It comes, it starts with a revelation of who He is. Thank you, Lord. You cannot live your life any longer on bad information. Amen? Would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes?
I don't know if there's somebody in here tonight that maybe you've lived your life with that bad information. Maybe somebody lied to you and told you, like I said, that Jesus is the one doing the stealing, the killing, or the destroying. And maybe that's why you've been reluctant to make him the Lord of your life. I, I realize this is a special service and we're probably a room full of believers, but I don't want to assume anything. If there's anybody in here tonight that's never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you haven't done it because you weren't quite sure who he was, you can be confident tonight. He's the one that came to give you life, not take it from you. Is there anybody that would slip a hand up tonight and just say, hey, I want to... I wanna believe in my heart. I want to say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to make heaven my home. Anybody at all that's never been born again that I can pray with tonight. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Room full of believers. Room full of believers. Well, I'll charge you with this tonight before we wrap this up. Don't allow yourself to live any longer, any further with bad information about who God is, you find out from His Word, you find out from His lips, don't let anybody else try to read His mind for you, you read it. You find out who He is, and you find out how good He is. And whatever it is He's put in your hand, He sees in you ability and strength to do with it what he would do with it were it in his. And he's put it in your hand for one reason, that you would increase by it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I speak the blessing of the Lord over this congregation tonight. I speak increase into this family. I, I declare over you that you are blessed of the Lord and you are increasing more and more, you and your children. And I speak to the spirit of fear that has rested heavy on people. And I declare tonight, you are free from that. No more bad money decisions. No more bad family decisions. Afraid you're going to run out. Afraid you're not going to have enough. If you will put the word of God in your mouth and start talking excess and start talking overflow, you'll see excess. You'll see overflow. And the same life that Jesus came to give you will rise up big in you and overflow out of you. And those of you who have lived in the state of abased, if you will stick with this, stick with the word of God, stick with the promise of God, you will move quickly out of that state and begin your trip to the state of abounding. And you who used to look to others to meet your need, soon you're going to start finding out that God has not only met your need, but is causing you to overflow and meet the needs of others. In Jesus' name. Say it out loud. Excess. Overflow. Say it like this. All grace is abounding towards me. And I will have at all times all sufficiency in all things that I might have to give to every good work in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.